Welcome to Discussions of Music, Healing, and Consciousness with your hosts, Chris Noble and Bill Protzman. On this podcast, Chris and I offer a spontaneous, ongoing conversation about how music is intertwined with healing and consciousness. Our first season helped lay the foundation and build some of the superstructure for what we want to do here in Season 2, where we'll be welcoming some intriguing guests, going deeper into ancient mysteries and wisdom, and cultivating your background knowledge and curiosity. We hope these discussions will inspire your own study and practice of the musical and healing arts, and that your contribution to advancing world consciousness will be satisfying for you and transformative to those around you. Let's get started. If you're listening right now, everybody, we're going to try to make this shorter. Don't hold us to that. <laughs> Two hours later. Two hours yeah, later. Right. They're still yeah. talking. Yeah. That <laughs> Is anybody still right. listening? <laughs> well, you know, it, no, I th- it gets like that way. You know, it's 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 intense. You want to keep co- talking about this stuff and finding a way to end it is often the challenge. challenge. That's a good, good challenge. Good problem to have. Yeah. It means we love talking about these things. We enjoy each other's conversation. And I know I certainly do, Bill. It's always... Such a blast just talking about these nerdy music consciousness healing conversations as we as we do. And, you know, for the listening audience, uh, Bill was kind enough to onboard me recently into his his whole world uh, of music morphic or music morphic. <laughs> I know you have to <laughs> as, say it a few times. You got to say it a few times, but it's it's a it's a clever little uh, mishmash of wording there. And you see it on his uh, background here if you're watching this uh, podcast. Um there you go, musimorphic. And so Bill onboarded me to basically what you could call the quest.musimorphic.com platform. And really what that is, is it's a interactive learning platform um, that Bill has pretty much put together in a sense of leading you through this, you know, musical, spiritual, mindfulness-based type of uh interactive journey of how you can implement sound and music into your life in a holistic and healing and mindful and yes i'll say the word sacred way and i just got yeah, through thank one you of for the, that uh, it is sacred <laughs> it is sacred and yeah. uh as bill mentions in one of the the levels or missions that you know you go through it's, it's like any course you go through one level then you get to the next and the next and the next and as i was going through some of them today you bring up that word sacred and it is a loaded word, as you mentioned in in the course itself. Um, but it's a beautiful word, and it's and it's also just something that's it's loaded because we've got centuries, if not millennium, of of stigma from other you know religious factors and sections yeah. that have obviously taken this to uh, an extreme degree and and used it to manipulate and whatnot. But we're bringing it back to its origins, the the root of the word in this episode, which is just special <laughs> more than anything to simplify it. Sacred really just means something that's special and, and intentional and something that you're, you know, you're really practicing presence with. And, um, you know, that's really the approach that we we can take. We can take. We have the option and the choice to take with music. But what I really wanted to dig into today, Bill, and I, I genuinely want your uh, to get your two cents on what your definition is of this at first is a music right. And I'm saying right as a spelling in English is R-I-T-E. Yes, like a ritual. A, like a ritual, right? Yeah. And, and so like what to you is a music right? What does that mean to you? Oh my gosh. So uh, great question. I, <clears throat> I can talk about what they are, but why they're important is probably a little bit more interesting. And after we do that, then they'll become sort of obvious. But um, you've been to concerts, right? Everybody goes to a concert. 
And there's sort of this thing that happens where, you know, before the warm-up band, everybody's crazy, nuts, whatever. And then the warm-up band comes out and the lights change and you do that. And then the warm-up band is gone and the lights come back up and then there's a stage set change. And then the, the actual band that you paid to hear is there. This whole process of how it all goes, it's more than a set of stage instructions. It's like what we expect. So, you know, we've learned how to go to concerts. And there's this order of the way things happen. And if you think about that just a little bit further than, oh, it's going to be this, then it's going to be that, it starts to, to fall into a pattern. And our expectations are aligned with that pattern. And even our intentions are aligned with that pattern. I mean, I know whole people that will not, not show up until an hour and a half after the start time of the show because they don't care about the warm-up band. And they miss a bunch of music, but their ritual for going to concerts is a little bit different than mine. Because I'm there like, you know, half an hour early because I want to be there when the people come in. You know, I'm going to be experienced the whole thing, like right from the start. And those intentions are kind of what I mean by ritual. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And you're absolutely right. You know, we've been absolutely taught how to go to concerts without even knowing it. And there's so many things that were taught within a concert setting that you could compare to what we would currently and certainly in the past looked to as traditions in another um, in a more spiritual or religious setting. Oh, sure. Music, yeah. Where, you know, it's the same type of expectations, the same type of learned behaviors. You all you, you have to stand and take your hat off for this particular song, you know, right? Right. We're, we're still conditioned with national anthems to raise your specific... for the some song yeah exactly right? raise your glass and at a wedding you know there's all these traditions and almost ceremonies that go into to music that are of course ancient but also in a way modern like the modern day concert yeah yeah and it's so interesting you know i just as a fun sort of anecdote on the side here i uh, recently got back from a tour just in like mid middle of canada in the prairie area uh and we played three shows and I was experimenting in these shows with more some more performance tactics and really basic stuff, but stuff that I was excited to explore more of. And um, the gentleman I'm performing with is a phenomenal performer. So he's, he was really pushing me to up my performance. And one of the simple, simple tricks that, you know, any musician can do, any performer can do is to play with the space that you're in on stage. And so, you know, there's, again, these expectations. And then when you can push some of those expectations or go into a new area of expectations. So what I mean by that is um, there's several moments during the set where I would solo and I have a separate instrument. I'm playing piano mostly. And then I have a separate instrument, a melodica. It's like a portable little accordion for those that don't know. Oh, it's not horrible, man. It's cool. <laughs> it, no, it's a portable. Sorry. Oh, portable, I didn't mean to sorry. <laughs> it's an awesome instrument. It's I awesome love melodica. Instrument. Uh, I love it very much. It's, it sounds like an accordion had a baby with like a harmonica or something like that. It's like sort of uh in between it that's small yeah. easy to to move around with so for me with soloing it's great because i get i was able to stand up off the piano bench and we would set up a separate mic at the front of the stage and i'd walk up to the front of the stage and then rip a little solo there and no matter how small or large the audience was they all knew that it was like <laughs> i could have sucked on the solo and i think there are i did all right but regardless it almost didn't matter is that i i stood up walked to the front of the stage did my thing and then walked back and then it would always get an applause. Sometimes people would stand and applaud because it was, I guarantee you, if I did the same musical thing, 
sitting down, I I don't think it would have received anything close to the same um, appreciation and applause because I I moved in a way that was sort of standard. Oh, it's the soloist. He's standing up. He's moving to the front of the stage. He's being theatrical in his movements. And he's really like into the solo. And musically, there was no difference. But physically, I was doing so many different things. And I think that is, again, a very traditional trick in music that plays with the space on stage. But it does so in a way that everyone knows He's doing a solo and Doesn't everyone knows that you always say, you know, at yeah. the end of the solo. Right. And, and so that, and then the other famous thing was that you take a bow at the end of the show. And right. sometimes when you're an independent musician and you're not playing the biggest shows, you can forget that, especially when the concert's done and it's just sort of like dead, dead space. But these shows that we played were bigger audiences and very well received shows. So we get these big resounding applauses at the end. And me and my, uh, co-performer uh, Tennyson King he we would look like we looked to each other like oh crap we got a bow <laughs> we have to like we have to put this this part of the performance out there otherwise it doesn't feel yeah. complete yeah you know and it's the same with the encore and, and there's all these traditions that we've been programmed to participate in whether you're the performer or the audience and it's and it's so interesting um, playing with those so I just wanted to say as a from an experiential point of view like these things are totally real for yeah, both sides, performers and audience. It's absolutely right. And the th- the question is, are they rituals, right? Are they what makes them ritualistic? And I think the combination of a tradition with the sacred is when it becomes a ritual. So what makes it sacred? Well, the open opening perhaps to spirituality. Like if you say, I'm gonna do this thing, and uh it's the reason I'm gonna bow is because I'm gonna say thank you to the audience, right? That's great. However, to, to turn that into a ritual, you could say, you could introduce the sacred purpose, right? Or the spiritual purpose, which would be, thank you for sharing this experience. Together, we could not have done it without you. Which is a little bit different than just saying thank you. Because it sort of brings everybody into the space as one unit, rather than saying, here is me and there is you, and thank you very much. I'm saying here we are all together in this moment that we co-created. It sounds like splitting hairs, I know. But it it changes the intention so powerfully. But when you invite that extra level of meaning, if you like to use the word meaning, um, I call it sacredness because recognizing the spiritual work in the room together is my intention. May not be anybody in the audience. The audience may not even care. But for me, that makes it, it turns it from a, um, an expected sort of traditional thing into a ritual. Does that help? Yeah, it's, it's really about the intention. I love what you said too about, you know, addressing the audience and, and really intentionally verbalizing what that sacredness or that ritual is. And when you verbalize it, it does shift everything. And I've been a part of shows where, you know, it is a, it's a new Mm-hmm. that's not new it's an emer- re-emerging trend i would yeah. say in music to instead of just saying thanks everyone good night it's now thank you for co-creating this amazing space with us uh we really appreciate you um yada yada like an, it's a, a connection to the audience and not just that but it's also taking um taking the energy and the intention to let the audience know that you know, there isn't this hierarchy 
you know i think earlier in time yeah, well said. music and the, the even the concept of a stage is above everyone the the you know they're almost deified these performers are almost godly to us and we and we they're larger than life and they're almost yeah. like completely outside of our own reality but the the shows and the artists that we truly connect with the deepest are usually the ones that are able to come down onto a human level and connect individually with us at, at a core and a lot of that is like to remove the smoke and mirrors and to acknowledge the kind of oneness in the room and to you know many different ways in which we can uh eradicate those sort of um uh tiers and those uh yeah hierarchy right they talk about the fourth wall but i think there's a fifth one hmm. right and it's easy to break the fourth wall people do that all the time that's the one you're talking about where there's this this perception of difference different levels between like the lowly listeners and the amazing performer but the fifth wall is when you make it all to, when you bring it all together as one and and if you're in music particularly if you're in performing music um, the magic of that moment of being together with an audience is way beyond anything that you could describe scientifically that's you the know? sacred side of it to me that's the sacred side of it and and accepting that and involving ourselves in that right from the start is uh I think it's almost a responsibility that more musicians could accept whether or not they make it public. You know, my mother always used to tell me before going on stage when I was a kid, she's like, have fun. What? <laughs> the last thing I'm going to do play this complicated music is enjoy it. Right. I'm I'm dying here. I'm so nervous. <laughs> but it got into me, you know, and I realized at one moment that what she was inviting me to do was to, uh, to find the spiritual side of what was happening out there. That it was more than hitting all the right notes and more than making all the right phrasing and the technical side, blah, 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 right? And it was more than um, more than just looking for an emotion in the music. Classical music is like that. You know, that's, there's deep emotions happening. You got to find them all and, and hit them properly and all of that, you know? And, and, and more than making sure that your memory is exact, you know, all of this stuff. There was something else going on. And that other thing that was going on is what mom wanted which is for me to have fun and somehow let go of all that other stuff, or at least bring something of equal value to the piano bench with me. And, uh, you know, it wasn't always humorous. Well, there were times where I screwed up. It was pretty funny, but, <laughs> but that invitation. And, and I think maybe a ritual is that too. It's like an invitation to something more like all this is going to happen. You know, we're going to play this piece of music together and you're going to listen to it. That's all going to happen. But what's what else is what else is going on in the room, right? And are we aware of or at least offering uh, the opportunity for that? I think it's the right way of saying. It. I think ritual opens us to an opportunity more than just repeating a tradition. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it can look so many different ways for the listening audience. Oh, truly, watching, watching audience yeah. too. Like that's that's the cool thing. We can say the word ritual, which is a very old word, but we can use it to describe you know, all these different ways in which you can go about uh, a performance ritualistically, for example, just go one song at a time. And depending on the topic or the meaning or the purpose of the song, you can bring it up to the audience. And, you know, I, I do that in my sets. And I did that recently on tour with um, with Tennyson King. And he would, he his stories are, or excuse me, his songs are all stories. And so each song 
usually requires sometimes a, up to a five minute intro, like where he speaks to the audience. I'm playing, you know, the intro, like the song chord progression in, in the background as he's talking. And um, he leads everyone through like what brought him to write the song, the story behind it, and also ways that they can interact with the song, whether there's sing along parts, clapping, whatever it is. And like, it's almost like a, and it's done in an entertaining, fun way. He gets a lot of laughter from the audience. He's very uh, good at not just like just not taking himself too seriously and he's sometimes telling very compromising stories and pretty hilarious like anecdotes but they hum they they bring a hum uh humility and and also bring uh both of us in not a bad way at all bring us down or or depending on how you look at you look at it bring the audience up to our level and and we make it an even playing field and we you know we get people to like say things out of like have you guys encountered that and like yeah no no and like all of those things are ways to make it ritualistic because you're including everyone in with this thing we call music and and performance. So I, I would I would yes. agree with you, Bill. Yeah, I think we can over ritualize stuff too. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, where it goes off the deep end, you know. But I've um, been to shows like that, right? For sure. <laughs> right. But the it's organic. Like, you just play the music for crying out loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just stop already. Yeah. There's a balance. It's and it's it's a fine one. I mean, the the ritual of live performance is one thing. Um, in the quest that you're talking about, the idea is to develop your own very private listening rituals. And a lot of us just put on music, right? It's like put on music, and that's fine. Um, a lot of us do yoga poses too, right? Or meditate. And and there's um, there's no wrong to this. You can do it any way you like. But bringing some intentionality to it is the focus, because uh, at least as far as I've been able to determine, maybe you feel the same way, that when you combine a MEPS tool like music, like the mental, emotional, physical, spiritual tool like music, with an intention, it's like, whoa, look out. <laughs> this is some powerful stuff right now. You can have the intention by itself, but when you when music brings your holistic being together with that intention, Wow, that is really powerful. And and ritual is a good way of doing that. It it quiets and focuses the mind, right? It's it quiets the emotions, or at least brings them to neutral, where you're ready to accept something new. Um, it brings you to physical stillness if it's a really good ritual. Um, why do we kneel in prayer? It makes us stop. We can't walk when we're kneeling, right? So that's a there's a ritual aspect to that. And of course, the ritual is opening to spiritual, where you say, "Okay, here I am. Fill me up." right and you're asking something other than the physical emotional or mental parts of you that download to come into the room right so um the music is a meps tool combined with intention powerful stuff and and ritual is a it's a shorthand way of being able to open that up i think yeah and, and just Again, I'd love to hear what your examples would be, uh, Bill, but I'll, I'll give a couple of my own just really basic stuff that sure. you guys listening and watching can uh, can digest, right? And, and maybe this might offer some things that you can bring into your life with music intentionally, ritualistically, holistically, sacredly listening to. So uh, a great, great uh, simple example would be usually first thing in the morning, um, I'll wake up, I'll meditate while in bed just so that I've got it done <laughs> before anything else happens that's uh, and then if i meditate later great i got bonus meditations awesome 
And then once I'm out of bed, one of the first things I'll do is try to have some quiet time. Uh, maybe I, I might do some movement first, but regardless is what I go on is I put on um, on my Spotify, I'll find some music just to put on the background just to get the day started. And right there is a great opportunity to get more ritualistic with music. And I can listen to my own advice here and, and get more ritualistic because some days, you know, you just throw it on and then stop thinking. But what I like to do is put on um, something for me calming so that these days, what that looks like, and it's always evolving. It's always changing. These days that would look like some very uh, sort of soft, mellow Spanish guitar. I really enjoy listening to that in the morning to kind of takes me to some Mediterranean kind of vibes. I enjoy that. Great. That works for me. might not work for you. Find what music works for you, of course. And then I just play that in the background as I, uh, you know, had some movement and just do all my morning, you know, rituals or routines. But that music's always playing in the background. And, and one moment where I like to take some time and really listen to it is usually when I first turn it on and I, I, I'll have a couple of minutes of just contemplation. And sometimes I might be just looking out the window or sitting on my little balcony area or whatever that looks like and try to take a couple of minutes of just not silence because there's music, but the silence and contemplation of my mind while the music's happening in the background. So that's just one example of... Um, you know, a very simple and easy way to bring in a, a music type of ritual into your day. It doesn't have to be, you know, wearing the robes and the garments. And Oh, nuts, know, man. I like my robes. I know. That's the ritual. <laughs> of. I mean, you see those rituals. I'm making fun of like, uh, you know, graduations and stuff like that, which are literally these ancient, like ancient rituals that still yeah. to this day, because they're still wearing the robes and the still robes wearing the are... robes. Right. An ancient practice, you know, like, wait, where do we get that from? Oh, my God. Like thousands of years ago. So it's like we... You know, we still do those things, but it doesn't have to look like that for everyday use. Um, it can really be quite basic, but quite effective. Yeah, yeah. So. I I love this. I you know, and I'm thinking as you're talking that we should ask you in a few weeks when you're through the quest a little bit further, what's changed about your rituals, right? Well, because even this is I'm I'm for the listening audience here this is this is all this came from my first mission my first level here in the quest i mean this is just number one so uh there's many many more to come and uh this has just provoked a whole episode of our podcast so i can only exactly. imagine what these others are going to do it's, it's <laughs> fantastic and and thanks again bill this has been really uh <laughs> really welcome. nice journey for me so hey one of the one of the perks of uh having a great podcast co-host <laughs> right we get to learn stuff i know a whole bunch more other. about you know ancient mysteries than i ever did before now Beautiful. <laughs> and and you are gonna like you're gonna be cursing me by the time it's over like let's make this stop i'm so tired of learning more about music <laughs> i highly i highly doubt that <laughs> but i welcome it i welcome it so i'm glad um, you're in it. it it's it's a fun quest i mean it, it really is it's meant to be a lot of fun you know on wednesday in the mastermind you made me think of something is that we should talk about the difference between the shadow journey and the heroic journey. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is a really good question. And uh, you know, first question that Chris had of going in the quest, quest, because I think there's an onboarding question, right? It says, have you ever taken yes. a shadow journey? Have you ever taken a heroic journey, right? Have you taken both? Well, what's the difference, right? So uh, we should talk about that because there is a difference depending on yeah, how, there you, is. Uh, how you oh, yeah. uh, start the journey, right? And, you know, it's... Um, it's fair to say that while we mostly make movies about successful heroes, failure is nine times out of 10 what you get. But it doesn't mean that well, you've failed that journey. It means you're ready for the next one. 
<laughs> exactly. And what is right? failure, right? Failure is just learning in a way. Yeah, failure is learning in disguise or something. What are the, what's that yeah, famous quote? Right. <laughs> I, I honestly don't remember, but it's something along those lines. Every every innovator, every famous inventor throughout time will be the first to always admit that the you know the failure is the number one. Like you have to accept that in order to get anywhere because that, that's just the that's just the road it is. I, I yeah. wanted to quickly uh, bring it back to the uh, this music right and yeah. I, I, you know, I have the page pulled up here and um, this will be in the show notes. Uh, Bill will throw in um, a way to start the process to be able to access this information because uh, there is a wonderful onboarding process. I highly recommend everyone get in. Uh, well, you know, check it out, you know, take it for a yeah, spin, take, a look. take it for a test drive, get in touch with Bill and he'll set you up with that. And it's, um, I find really provocative. And one of the things I wanted to bring up that's in this first mission, this first level here again, are these, what, what is a music right? You know, getting more into the definition for everybody here and, and, or a music ritual, right? Ritual. And I like these definitions you have here. So I'm going to read them out and just see how they sit in your, in your mind, everybody. Sure. So um, number one, these are the elements. These are these are the basic elements that a music right has to have. Number one, it guides us through an emotional arc. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense to me. Also, that's like a story, right? So it's like a ritual in a way is almost kind of like leading you through this story. A story always has a, an arc to it as well. Number two, the music right does not need words. That's absolutely true as well. I love a lot of instrumental music myself. I mostly write instrumental and that is a story and a half. It's just told through the, the language of music and instruments and all that. So that's beautiful. And of course, number three, it takes time. And, you know, and I think that's one of the basic definitions of, of music in general is it has to, you know, you don't listen to music for the last note of the song. You listen to it for the duration of that journey, which is also a great metaphor for life in general and yeah. practicing presence. It's the journey. Uh, it, it, 100%. You don't dance for the last beat of the dance, right? You're dancing for the time for the duration oh, of that yeah the whole song and dance uh number four it has a specific purpose very important and i would bring that also into the idea of intention right what's your intention and what's the intention of the mu musical right the performance whatever it is um but it needs to have a specific purpose or intention yeah very intention. clear the clearer the purpose the better the right 100 percent Hundred percent, exactly, and the clearer the outcome, usually. The oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The clearer the outcome is, so you could get a really crazy amorphous answer that doesn't help, or you could get a very specific one that does. So, what would you choose? Yeah, you <laughs> ask suck. a good question is what you know what it comes down to. Hundred percent, and then uh, number five, it speaks to something deep inside us that we often can't name. This one I really love because I've heard so many times, and we've we've had it on the I believe the first episode of this season of the podcast when we had Dr. Haley Fox on and she spoke to music as or art in general but we'll say for right now music is the language of the ineffable it describes what we can't describe in words and there's so much we can't describe in words pretty much anything outside of our five senses in this third dimensional reality we can't describe in words which is a lot it's pretty much everything yeah, yeah. Um, we don't really have words for it. and music i would say is one of my favorite ways to describe emotion describe metaphysical concepts and realities and dimensions and all these things that we just can't put words to yeah um, a musical right can can absolutely bring us into that 
understanding. And once yes. again, words might not come to you. It's also a weak often... word, right? Because we understand it, we think it's in the mind, but it's so much more, right? It's like uh, awareness, acceptance. They tell me that German is really good for words like this to be able to describe these metaphysical concepts, but I don't know German. Yes, so. I don't either. And I heard one German word only a couple of days ago. It was exactly what you, um, it, it describes something very, very specific within an emotion kind of thing. So something like, we only have one word for it and they they dive deeper and have like four four words for it or something yeah like yeah and so there's lots of really great languages some of the more ancient languages as well uh ancient hebrew and sanskrit and things like that are um actually loaded with frequency and with even deeper knowledge that's a whole other can of worms of course another podcast but um yeah better languages for that english not so much however we're doing our best on this podcast we do our best. So that's why we use music. That's why we got musical rights. And number six on the basic elements of a musical right is that it's sacred. And we went over that already. Sacred, uh, special, intentional. That's really what we mean. And the, the last element is that it uses music as a tool. And that's really what we've been harping on since our first ever episode on yeah, this podcast is, is music as a tool, right? It's it's such an interesting thing to to really wrap your head around as a tool because we're so conditioned to listen to music as entertainment right right do you do you even remember bill like when i don't know i'm trying to think i don't really know when i started to switch the gears in my mind of like music is more than entertainment i can't remember when that would have started to switch for me you know i i don't know if i a, ever that's a big epiphany I kind of went the other way because I growing up as a classical musician, right? The last thing Fair you enough. think about going to a piano recital is how entertaining it is. <laughs> Even when you're playing, you're still oh, worried man. about, you know, you've got all that tension before you actually play. Yeah, so it went so the true. reverse. <clears throat> and when I discovered that music could be entertaining, for me as a performer, right? Yeah. That changed everything, right? Learning to play ragtime was what did it. And oh, all of a sudden, wow. I realized that there was a power that was far beyond, you know, Bach, Beethoven, and Mozart, which I'm now always happy to experience as entertainment, you know, but that insight didn't really hit me. So I'm, I'm like the outlier. I'm not the best person to answer your question. <laughs> well, but when you were going at it from a classical perspective, was it really also, though, being approached as a musical rite or a sacred, or was it more just something to play in perfect perfection to nail the concert? You know what I mean? To yeah, to do what the the traditional classical world, and I would say the more recent classical world, because let's be honest, Beethoven, Bach, Mozart were not playing the way that we tell us musicians to play it now. Those guys were the rock stars for yeah. you know anyone listening. They were not classical musicians at the time of their existence they were the rock stars the pop stars roll. yeah it was rock and roll back then and they were entertainment um for everybody including yeah. the elites obviously but um so so i don't know was it were you really going in and I, i'm not i don't know i'm just asking yeah, these questions or, or did that shift happen did it did it happen even after like your um epiphany of it being entertainment as well okay and then years later you you started to get down to like music therapy sound therapy was it when those things started to open up that you're like, oh, wait a minute, music? Because you work with people and prescribe essentially music to them and help them put their perfect playlist together to to help with their own 
mental, emotional, spiritual uh, welfare, like there's the, the clicked at some point, right? It did. Um, it, it was gradual, though, because um, the thing that I, th I think made me different, Chris, was I was more interested in what was happening in the audience than most of my peers and why it was happening, you know, and there was research that was following me because so I went through music school in the late 90s. So there was research that was coming up in the music therapy world at that time that was really helpful in its understanding. And of course, neuroscience sort of blew up. Um, the Oliver Sacks books had been around for a while. So people were starting to make the connections between music and how it works on us. And along with that, there was me like wondering what's happening in the audience while I'm playing certain music and paying attention to that and having feedback, people coming up and saying, you know, I really needed that song. Okay. Well, if you really need something, um, there's more to it than just being entertained by hearing it, right? What's going on there? So it was the audience basically that taught me that there was a, a skill set here in this music. And it wasn't a skill set that I had. It was a skill set that was internal to all of us where there's something that we can use about music. So that's when I started to talk about music as a tool, but it was gradual. I mean, it took, I don't know, 20 years of performing and, and paying attention and some research that was starting to happen and scientific stuff that was coming along and just sort of combining all of that um, led me to start teaching it as a tool the way that I do now. Starting in, oh, I don't know, the early 2000s, I guess. I've been at this tool thing now for more than 20 years. Yeah, I mean that makes sense too, Bill. Right? So it's it's almost always a gradual thing because I I, I yeah. can't think of a particular incident. I mean, there's catalyst moments, but they are all like kind of blended together, right? To create right. um yeah uh, many many years of of slow epiphany and kind of slow awakening into this um, amazing realm of of music and sound being used as a tool. And now it's um, yeah, it's it's fantastic to be able to have that perspective because like. With any new perspective, it allows you the mindfulness to just tune into it more often. So the questions can start to come up in your mind that maybe didn't before, which is, okay, what song do I need right now? Even right. just something as simple right. as that, right? Or how do I want to listen to this? Do I want to listen to it as background music? Um, do I want to bring my full focus to it and listen to it? Do I want to play it? Right? Yeah. How, what's the engagement that I want with this music? And, and that becomes, it? again, part of your ritual. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> part of your experience of it. And there are times where I don't want to engage. I just rather it wash over me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or I'm doing something else. I need something supportive. And then there are times where I really want to focus and the focus moments are, um, talk about full presence. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome for that. So, I mean, I guess I would love to hear, you know, from everyone watching, listening, uh, consuming our podcast like now that you've heard us talk about these m musical rites rituals ways to make music sacred and and create your own ritual with it what's your ritual look like you know let yeah. us know drop um, a comment yeah even you know this is audio so record something if you want and um, and drop it in i think you can well i don't think do that on youtube or not but you can certainly drop it on us via email and we yeah. can add that in as you know audio maybe in a separate podcast. Here's a podcast composed of nothing but our listeners' rituals that they have music <laughs> rights for. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. And I mean, we'd love to hear from uh, from any of you about that. So let us know, email us, or yeah, just drop us a comment. And, uh, you know, also feel free to share what other 
ways have you used music as a tool for your own well-being uh enhancement or just pure fun and pleasure you know what are these uh fun ways is it is it a specific ritual you have when you go to take a shower and you have to have your music with you is it a way that you drive to certain locations with a particular playlist you know is that the one time you can really belt out the lyrics that you really want to belt out is when you're in that perfect sound box enclosure that's called a car you're gonna you know? get people singing in the shower singing in the car uh, you know great yeah people hit us we won't complain but i don't know if we'll air any of it you wouldn't <laughs> want to hear me singing in the shower folks <laughs> no but that's the beauty of it is just let it, out, let, it know, yeah, let it let out let it out let it out how do we do that. we told we promised people we wouldn't go too long did we go too long i i i, I was kind of feeling like we've closed it at a pretty good time here it's definitely shorter good um it's, def it's definitely one of our shorter episodes, but I, I think you listening audience, you, you guys, you, know, you appreciate some variety. So we're, we're giving you some variety. Give Don't worry. Variety, yeah. <laughs> we got it's all you. good. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good here. But so, uh, yeah, I, before we go, I want to come back to the frequency thing that we were doing uh, last time, because that's fascinating to me. And if I can feel out how, uh, a way of, of how to boil it down into something that's cogent, then maybe we'll, we can address that. And, and what I'm thinking about, just so you know, and the listeners know, there's been a lot of talk about John Lennon's um, Imagine recently. Imagine. And 528 hertz, which is like the love frequency. And I'm sort of orbiting my mind around a show about that. So uh, listeners, if you've got any ideas, like drop them on us. But I'd love to take that in sort of a technical and a holistic perspective and explore why that song really works. Because it really works, right? It and does. I think, personally, I think it's way more than just 528 hertz. But that's just me. Yeah. Well, I'll save my thoughts for that that episode because um, I got a lot of them already. So it's cool. uh, yeah, I knew you that's would. Really, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have even Dr. Emoto's um, water experiments, right? I, that yeah, took yeah. that song, Imagine. So we even have what Imagine looks like photographed in water. Right. And yeah. that's pretty incredible too. And it's very symmetrical and it's very, um, has a lot of sacred geometry and um, Fibonacci mathematics. So, um, you know, there's, there's some pretty cool tangible things we can look at. And of course, get into the metaphysical, the spiritual, good old feelings that it feels. And, you know, how many, um, out of all the songs too, like, why is it that there's certain songs that when you play with a group of strangers, it just works. And it's like, yeah. I've played a lot of random songs with random people over my life, like in kind of random jams or sing-alongs, things that you're not really planning and some of the best, um, there's some really, there's some songs that just seem to work in almost any situation. Right. And Imagine by John Lennon certainly is one of those songs. So yeah. why? You know, it's why? a great question. Why? And we won't have necessarily answers to present to everyone, but we will definitely have some uh, some variables, some some hypotheses and uh, theories to bring you for it sure. It might take us, you know, two, three, five, six episodes too. So. <laughs> At least <laughs> and these aren't necessarily things we can answer, but it's fun to talk about. Yeah. I love talking about it here on discussions of music, healing and consciousness. So uh, I'm always loving this bill. Thanks. Thanks again for, uh, for bringing everything you did to, to the episode. And thanks for onboarding me to uh, the musomorphic quest that I am now on. And again, everyone, please check out the show notes to get more info on this really cool process that bills put together. And I'm, I'm so uh, into it right now. It's really fun. Cool. I love it. I can't wait to see your progress, man. And thank <laughs> you, too. by the way. Love this. Thanks for putting up with my voice. Getting over the cold. Oh, I think All it's right. a nice uh, jazzy kind of loungy blues uh, vibe. You got going kind here. of vibe here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you just need a cigarette hanging out of your mouth. Yeah, really. good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Hallelujah. Thanks, brother. <laughs> All right. Aho. Good to see uh -huh. everyone. And uh, we'll catch you next time.